welcome to the Life Leadership Podcast with myself, Leela Singh. All things coaching, career, and personal branding. This podcast is for ambitious career professionals like you, wanting to create a life of choice and freedom, to be, do, and have more through overcoming limitations, to develop new perspectives and insights, and to redefine your success, be that in work, health, relationships, and so much more. In today's podcast, I'm going to be speaking to Gayatri Perrier. With a successful career in tech spanning 12 years, Gayatri has a strong track record within global sales, managing and developing a winning team to target and accelerating predictable year-on-year sales growth with global strategic partnerships and a collaborative ecosystem. She leads and manages direct reports, diverse regional and global teams, whilst building a high-performance sales culture for soaring sales success. Gayatri's strengths lie in building both internal and external relationships to promote joint partnerships. She creates business impact for CXO success and enables collaborative joint go-to-market in a matrix environment and manages by influence, whilst driving value innovation in parallel and realizing year-on-year predictive gains. She's a go-getter in driving profitability with stringent timeframes. Today, Gayatri will be sharing her career vision, the importance of female leadership in business, and why she opts to always take on the most challenging roles. She'll talk about her core uh, traits of leadership, her view of that, what she feels is most important, and why investing in her personal growth is non-negotiable. And then she'll also talk to us about the importance of growing your network and nurturing strong professional relationships. So let's head on over and hear what Gayatri has to say. Hi Gayatri, thank you so much for joining us today here on this podcast. How are you? How are you doing? Really good. Great to meet you, Leila. Yeah, I mean, it's been a while since we've spoken. Um, but, you know, for the audience, of course, you know, we worked together for a while as well, a few years ago, didn't we? Um, was that about six years ago, maybe? For an amazing company. I've yeah, got to say <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So tell me, when you embarked on your career, what did you want to become? What was it? What was the vision you had for yourself? Well, I told myself at the end, before I retire, I've got to be one of those youngest females vice president of technology one day nice that was my goal but uh, hopefully I'm still on my goal <laughs> you're on track for sure and, and, so that how was my that, dream. and that was your dream and, ha- and how how is that working out for you so far in terms of obviously you set yourself a vision or a goal but there's that journey to get towards that so how has that journey been for you well i've got to say it's a uh, uh, it's a well-described sentence in my mind always. It's a perfect storm. Right. Uh, I guess it's not so simple. Uh, being, you know, a female in technology, I would say. It's not like there's no females in technology. There are. There's yeah. plenty full of engineers. Uh, but I would say in the frontline management, you don't really, uh, the percentage is really low. It's mm-hmm. almost, you know, not visible. But what has happened in the last couple of years has been a big change in the industry which has been working very well or aligned with my goal, uh, which makes me very excited. (laughs) Uh, They've started to identify, right, that um, female leadership is crucial to have balance, 
-hmm. And the balance actually creates a better impact for any organization. And it kind of creates not just the business productivity, but also the human dimension of management, mm -hmm. uh, which has changed. And uh, that's something that really uh, shocked me a little. Uh, and I was, in the meantime, still growing myself, I would say, in the industry, in many different segments, right? So I started with doing, I've done sales, um, I've done channels, I've done business development, a couple of angles, right? I've also done in my, in my tenure, a financial services role when I was never a finance student in my life. So <laughs> I tried to train myself in different areas and uh, in technology, especially, I didn't want to specialize in one area. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure that I cut across the entire ecosystem, mm -hmm. even whether it's on a solution engine or, you know, technology, maybe it's coverage of hardware, software, services, consulting, and so on. And, uh, in addition, I wanted to ensure that my portfolio, I have covered, I would call it the breadth and width of country, region, sub-region, and global, mm -hmm. which I've done all for uh, Arena in the last couple of years. And I'm thankful to many leaders who believed in me um, and believed in me building the success for them and their teams, bringing across the collaboration. So I'm quite thankful to have met very amazing leaders uh, in the last couple of years who have given me plentiful of areas to grow and still they are <laughs> so um you know in this in this amazing journey what i've learned is um, when you have a goal you, you have to keep your mind stuck on your goal and somehow you use that yeah so staying very very focused on what you want that's true. That's true. Focus is one, but I believe that you need to have the wind direction of what you do as well, according to how the um, industry is moving yeah. in the current world. You know, you've got to keep up with the, the change. And one thing about technology, I guess anyone in technology will tell you is, it's a never ending journey of learning system. So you yeah. have to keep yourself ahead and that's pretty good. So Probably keeps me off dementia for a really long time, I hope. <laughs> uh, and so what, in all of that, what would you say is your biggest driver? What is it that drives you every day to do what you do? I like innovation right. very much. And there's something that's, you can either say it's positive or it's weird. It depends on how people look at it. But mm -hmm. I really like to turn sinking boat around uh-huh in my dna so which means that any role that i've picked i like to pick the toughest role and the reason why i like that is i always want to challenge myself to do the one two or three elements of things that brings the success i know for sure that i can't turn around a hundred percent of success range that i would like to build but I'll be very confident that I can change three things and I can make a big impact to the business. And that has happened to me many times in my life, um, in many different businesses that I was involved in, whether it's global sales, you know, whether it was a region sales, but mm -hmm. it's, you know, very tough partnerships that you need to, you know, evolve around from competition. And the roles that I've usually taken have been, I would say, products that are the underdog of technology. Mm 
I mean, right. they are part of a big brand, but they're not the most famous solution. And I like that because I like building uh, the innovation that is not there now. Yeah. And it makes it different. Okay. Thank you. I love that. I love the fact you go for the underdog. You don't go for, you don't go for the easy option. You don't go for the easy way out or the easy way to success. You're looking to, 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 you know, look for the biggest challenge and work to overcome that. Yeah, that's true. Because if you, if you do something that's working very well, you can enhance, but you can't redevelop. Mm. Right. So I like the idea of redeveloping. Yeah. I and guess how do we how do we build it? Right, and I guess for you then that helps, not helps, but enables you to be more creative and bring more of your skill set to the table, doesn't it? That's yeah, true, and and it's a good learning curve even for me uh, in leadership because I don't do everyone does right. Uh, when we build something, we build a value program, we build a value partnership, or we build a value ecosystem for the clientele. Mm -hmm. So how do you bring that innovation? You, you have to do a lot of brainstorming. You have to test different territories, um, different tips that drives and tests the innovation skill set. And I guess uh, that keeps me going as well. And it mm -hmm. makes me feel that I'm on the job all the time. And my energy level is really high, so I like <laughs> Good. Yeah, you you got good energy. I love your energy. You're always like so so enthusiastic. You you fantastic in terms of, and I think that will really go a long way when you're in a sales role as well, and when you're managing a team, is having that high energy to to drive and motivate the people around you and bring them up with you. Um, so just touching on what you mentioned about um, the the lack of women in the senior level roles. Um, what reasons would you give in your experience to encourage more women into the technology industry? Because for me, I think what I'm seeing a lot of is people are talking about encouraging more women in, but to do specifically techie roles. Yeah, like programming, coding, whatever it might be. Whereas in both of our experiences, I would say there's a breadth of other roles that are available for women in the tech industry. So it doesn't matter, you know, male or female, that, that there's a wealth of roles there for us. So, so, you know, what reasons would you give to encourage more women to, to, to join this industry? Well, I would tell most women who have the interest to grow. And sometimes you, you do get stuck, especially if you walk yourself into a board interview with five pretty good looking seasoned men. <laughs> It can get a little bit stressful, <laughs> but I guess, I guess apart from the joke, um, I, I think women have to be more courageous. It's okay to fail. You need to have that mindset. And I, I'm a great example myself, right? I tell myself that I have to do what I tell people to do as well. Mm. And, um, and I tell myself that if I do the same roles, mm -hmm everything is going to be the same in your portfolio. You will never be a different person, right? Absolutely. So it doesn't matter if, if you have no knowledge about marketing, that you can't apply for a CMO role. The world has changed. A CMO today has to be a technology innovator, has to be someone 
who's well versed in the new world of digital technology and how do you infuse that into your marketing when you go to market? You've got to go to market differently. Mm-hmm. So what makes that think that a very stagnated person who's been doing marketing for 25 years is the only person who's eligible to do the role as a CMO? It's not true. Mm-hmm. So I guess women need to think more courageously and they need to put themselves on as many interviews as possible to train themselves for the confidence. Because I, I guess women naturally are, you know, multi-talented, but I feel many of my friends, you know, I, I don't blame anyone because it's sometimes this personal human dimension and business dimension coming together. For women, it's a little bit difficult for you to balance, especially when you have a family life and you know, a career life and you're trying to balance to to good market at the same time and also take really heavy duty roles, I would call it. Mm-hmm. Um, might be a little bit challenging on your mind. But in my tenure, I have worked with many famous women leaders uh, who've been high leadership roles in Cisco, in Waterphone, in HP. There's one thing that I learned from many of these women leaders and uh, one particular leader that I worked with, she was pretty enterprising. Uh, she became the president of, uh, you know, Waterphone Asia. She's someone I really looked up to. And I thought uh, she has four children. With four children. And she was in a super heavy duty role. And mm-hmm. the children were performing. Her family life was quite balanced. Uh, she was disciplined in her time management. She was very active in the sports world. She mm-hmm. trained her children for triathlon every weekend. So when you meet people like that, you realize that nothing is impossible. It's all in your mind. And you've got to be courageous to put yourself out, out there because if you don't, people don't know you exist. When they don't know that you exist, why should I even consider you? Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. I, yeah, I think that's phenomenal. I mean, and that's a great example. So that, that lady you spoke about where she's demonstrating anything is possible. And it is about how much you want it. And that's not to say that every woman should want to be the next VP of an organization either. We all have different aspirations. But once we get clear on those aspirations, it's about propelling ourselves forward and not having those those stories that we tell ourselves that become excuses for us not to put ourselves out there and to take those risks. And you reminded me as you were talking as well, um, in fact, it was Hewlett Packard that did some research a while back um, about um, the, the, the comparison of men and women applying for jobs and that women feel they have to know 100% of the job spec before they would even consider applying. Whereas men, I think it was, it was much lower. I think it was 40% or thereabouts. Um, and for me, it's, it's almost a case of, well, why would you want to do to apply for a job where you already know everything because where's the growth, right? And I think it's important to recognize that actually even whether it's 20%, 40% or 60% that you don't know, you know, I, I once had someone say to me really early on in my career, you can do anything you put your mind to. And I learned that through doing, you know, I, I went from finance to recruitment, you know, a sales role was a huge change for me. And then, you know, the roles I had within technology and corporate finance, again, all very, very new. I had to learn on my feet. Um, and again, within the sales exec role. So it, it's, you know, if, we, if we're committed to it and we really want it, we want to be successful, we really can 
achieve those goals. And I think, it, like you said, it is about having that confidence and our, that belief in ourselves that we are, are more than capable. So just, just moving on to, to a little bit around what you do in your roles now, because um, obviously you manage teams, you build your teams, you manage those teams. So tell me, what are the key attributes that you would look for in your ideal candidates? What are, what are things that are almost non-negotiable for you that these people have to have these attributes, these skill sets, um, experiences, character, whatever it is for you to even consider them? I've actually made most of my teammates that I've hired <laughs> under my, my team. I really test their value innovation skills. So I actually conduct my interviews in a scenario format and I get them to present. And I want to know, I always tell them that before you come to the presentation, you've got to be very clear about what you're good at and what you're not good at, because you can't be good at everything. Mm -hmm. and you need to know your weakness. That's very important to me. Why? Because that's what we are going to work on to make you successful. Mm -hmm. I like that. That's a very important attribute, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I'm a bit interesting. I have an Excel sheet. <laughs> of marking down of each of the people that I've employed, what are their weaknesses? I actually know what are their weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And I tell them, I remind them every time when they get into a roadblock that this is your weakness. So this is how you're going to react to the situation. Mm -hmm. This is how you're going to change yourself. So this is a couple of methods that you should be using. So I guess that sort of coaching makes people feel confident about themselves, about yeah. how they approach situations. And we got to remember, not everyone comes from a highly communicative background or not highly analytical background. Not every one of us are really good at everything. Right? So I guess you've got to coach them how to act on those scenarios with that right tools. Right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think uh, that's something that I took as a key pointer. And in fact, in my HP days, I had uh, a great European leader, uh, a male leader who grew a lot of skill sets in me and he always tested me on that on my weakness always <laughs> mm -hmm. and he knew I, I'm, I get very uncomfortable during the situation and it really does make you put in a spot but but I guess over time I became really immune to the fact that knowing that this is my weakness I come prepared on knowing how to deal with it mm -hmm. so it's it's actually starting to get into your mindset. And I think that's something that I really want to achieve with my team. I always tell my team, a high performance team is not about hiring 10 Olympic runners. That's not my vision. Right? I want to have a mixed breed. I want people who are highly skilled, medium skilled, and low skilled. So the blend is everyone learns from each other mm -hmm. of how to be successful. Right? It's not about... I, I never believed in anyone having a sales team and hiring 10 best people in the industry mm -hmm. producing 200% of the outcome. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Like, the whole idea is to get people who, who are challenged in certain ways, but who are successful in certain ions. And that actually creates a good mix in a team to produce results. Mm -hmm. Because everyone's skills contributes a different ion. And I can use that in different perspectives to yeah. be successful as a combined outcome. So that's uh, it's probably my trade secret of how I hire people. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I that, I, that that's really eye-opening to hear because often you know people almost when people have got um whether you call it weaknesses or, or um areas areas for improvement as, as they, they use in the corporate world um oftentimes it's almost we'll put that to one side let's just focus on what you're really good at rather than building up the areas for improvement they don't spend so much time on that and i love the fact that that's one of your core focuses you know that you're very aware of that but you're using it in such a positive way to help your team to grow and to build them up but also looking at complementing the skill set like you said you don't want everyone to be a gold medal olympic runner you want them at different levels because all of those people are going to be bringing different skills to the table and learning from one another which creates a conducive team which is very very important particularly in a sales environment right so that that's very important i love that and, and what would you say has been your biggest challenge personally in your career i guess managing people from different cultures has been my biggest challenge in my life. I guess it's not so simple when you are trying to create an impact. Um, as, you, as you're aware, I work for many American corporates. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's, um, it's not the same in Asia Pacific and Japan. They constitute of diverse cultures and engagement models, and they don't come in one currency format. They don't come in one legislation format. So mm -hmm. they, they have to work on each territory at its own unique way. And right. I guess that's very challenging for any leader uh, in JPAC, probably is very similar to Europe, uh, that I say that as well, constitute a multitude of languages, cultures, variety of doing sales, methods of business frameworks are also very different, processes are different in each right. of these countries. So similarly, that's, that's what I see in JPAC for many years and I'm still learning. I'm still a learner. Mm -hmm. So that's been my biggest challenge. Uh, that's been still an existing weakness. But I've gotten better over time mm -hmm. because if you keep dealing with the cultures, uh, you know the choice of words, the action plan that you need to deploy, how you need to move the people to perform in those cultures. It's a good way to learn things differently. Yeah. And, uh, failed sometimes to be honest and i succeeded sometimes um and when you succeed you feel very good that you have learned from the fall on mm -hmm. what you should not do the next time round when you when you work with an individual from that culture so uh, that's been an eye-opener so i always take my challenges in a very positive manner because i feel it's a lifelong experience mm -hmm. that one day you know um you'll be helpful when I decide to become a consultant <laughs> in later years when I decided to just stay at home and watch my garden. <laughs> yeah. I mean that, that sounds in itself trying because it, one of the biggest challenges as a, as a, a, a manager of a team is, is managing people. Then you've got the extra layer added in there of the different diverse cultures and the way people do things and the way they're motivated. I'm, I'm guessing from what you're saying, um, that just creates a whole other level of challenges for you to learn and to be able to overcome. That, that's true. I mean, if you speak to someone in Japan, you're speaking to a culture that's, you know, thousands of years old. And that's right. It's the reason why Japan is successful and the products are pretty much, you know, uh, the world looks at it differently because Japan is quality. 
It's how you look at Japan, right? Mm-hmm. Amazon uh, CEO once said in his speech, you know, he learned from Sony, right? How to build quality, how to build adaptability, how to be universal. So, so Japan has its own unique character that also poses a challenge because that means people have been thousand years ago, and that's how they're doing business still today in the same process, mm-hmm. processional manner, right? Korea, in other words, it becomes a a country of borders, right? People that speedy, you know, want to be successful, they want to be different, they want to be unique. That explains how Samsung became the number two world leader, right? Of electronic products. So, you know, this these countries actually teach you a lot of different things as you keep working with them and people from those cultures because you've got to produce results, you've got to manage them mm-hmm. on the expectations and you need to build their confidence, right? Because mm-hmm. retention is also crucial. So so there's a lot of different sides that you need to think before you act. So it's a lot of yeah. thinking cap that you've got to put on with those cultures and English not being their first language as well. So right. you've got to bear that in your mind when you're, especially, you know, because um, I'm born and bred in Singapore, you can see that, you know, my first language is English and obviously, I'm, you know, that's like my de facto. But, you know, that there's probably in my mind as well uh, all the time, right? But I've got to train myself to keep remembering when I speak to people from different cultures, that English is not their first language. So you've right. got to give the benefit of doubt. You need to build that cultural confidence. You need to make people feel comfortable mm-hmm. about wanting to work with you because you understand what are the constraints that are available. That's the tough part. I think they wow. understand. But <laughs> it takes a really long time. And it took me, I mean, uh, because I'm very speedy, I'm very high energy, and I like to deliver. And I guess... Um, as a leader, there's not many times that you can be very speedy and but high deliverable. You also need to have the balance of the composure of dealing with the people mm-hmm. in different cultures because they have a very different uh, reaction to speed. So that's the key word. That's what I've been trying to train myself on as well, the reaction to speed. Right. And I still am, still learning. I mean, just listening to your experience, you, you've got a phenomenal breadth of experience at so many levels you know and I don't mean job level but I mean in terms of what you've what you've achieved and what you've taken on um and clearly really successful at it as well it's just absolutely phenomenal to hear um so so tell me I know personal growth is important for you so so what is it that you do as part of your own personal growth so on my personal growth front I like languages very Mm -hmm. much because I feel it builds a very different landscape with people. Mm-hmm. And I'm a very high people person. <laughs> I'm into people. So I, I like to understand what impacts them, you know, what motivates them, what grows them. And I think that language drives a lot of close relationships that last for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I trained myself. So I've trained myself in spoken Mandarin. I've trained myself in Bahasa. So I do speak a couple of languages. So that actually builds confidence when you're trying to grow yourself in diversified cultures. So that's mm-hmm. on a personal uh, front that mm-hmm. I do for myself over the weekend. <laughs> Apart from swimming and reading and stuff that I like to do, uh-huh. I decided that uh, personal learning is also important, right? And uh, I spend a lot of time doing that. Uh, in terms of the language front. And I also now try to acquaint myself with many different uh, consultants in LinkedIn, which is pretty interesting, where they come on board to teach you 
um, completely different personal motivation skills, right? About how to keep yourself focused and being high and timely on the engine and still managing, you know, yourself in the engine. You need to have your personal life and balance and everything. So how do you create that balance? It's, um, it's all these things that I do for myself these days that I never used to do when I used to be in direct sales because I was so on the fall <laughs> in the field, I would call it. <laughs> but now I, I, I've changed quite a fair bit. So when you're in, in leadership, I think you, you think a bit differently on mm-hmm. how to personally grow yourself so that you keep your team growing with you with confidence. Mm-hmm. That, you know, now that I can speak Mandarin, so when I'm in China, my staff is confident when she brings me to a distributor or a reseller then. I will be able to entertain them, though I'm not exceptional in, in the language, but I, I am able to speak. And that, that builds a lot of better front when we are doing the business together. And she tends to, in return, believe in me mm. you know, over long term, for an example. So as a case example, I feel that whatever you do on your personal front, you've got to think how it's going to impact when you run the business. Mm-hmm. And it's a skill, it should be a skill that you can't be replaced. And I think that languages are skills that can't be replaced. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. So what would you say to people who say when it comes to their personal growth, they don't have time? Well, I'll tell people that if you want to have greater heights, if you dream to drive a Porsche, you need to learn how the Porsche technology evolves. That's how it works. Mm. And if you don't decide to grow yourself, you will never become a better person, right? Because you will never be able to grow. And I think growth is not just about picking your back and going to work. Mm-hmm. That's what I tell him every day. Growth is about understanding what's going on in your environment. Mm-hmm. What is going to change in your environment? How are you adapting to that? So... My vision of you know, my vision of this actually change of personal growth as well. Uh, a couple of years ago, in my ex organization, when I saw a huge workforce reduction exercise, <clears throat> and you know such exercises in the past when I was very much younger <laughs> didn't really impact my mind. But, you know, after a while, you actually really think about it. I, I think about it. And I realized that the workforce reduction exercise happens to people who don't grow themselves, who don't diversify themselves, who don't build themselves for the future. Mm-hmm. What the organizations in the new age are looking for are people who build themselves for the future. Right? If you go for any interview in any company today, whether it's a supply chain company, whether it's a delivery company, they're going to ask you one very simple question. What are you going to do differently? They are no longer going to ask you, do you own a degree in business? Did you work for business 20 years? Oh, that's great. You are employed. That happened 10 years ago. No more. So mm-hmm. if, you, if you don't want to grow yourself personally, you've got to be prepared to take the losses in the future. Mm-hmm. And sometimes growing yourself personally is, is an investment you do for yourself. You spend a lot of money. You buy a champagne bottle for like 60 euro. Why can't you spend the 60 euro building yourself? Mm. What is wrong about that? So that's, that's an interesting point you make there because um, a common 
thing that I hear, a, a belief that people have is, well, I'm not prepared to invest in myself. I'll only do it if the company's going to pay for it. And when I ask why, well, the company's the one that's going to benefit, which I, I find hard to comprehend. Because to me, if you're learning, if, if I invest in myself to, for example, go and, and, and be a better speaker to do presentations, of course, yes, um, indirectly, the company may benefit from some of that, but I'm the one who's gained that skill and I take that skill wherever I go. That's an interesting true. process that people have. So I guess, I guess people in the new age, especially now with the pandemic situation, they've got a lot of time to think through about such things, right? Mm -hmm. And the thing of the past, when you say that a company should bill you, because these days companies bill you, but if you realize they are all electronic training capabilities, yes, they invest in you, in growing you. I'm, I'm not saying no, right? Even in my ex-organization, you know, um, I, as I told you, I was not even trained in finance. They did send me for a CFO mastery course and I was certified. But when I came out from that, that's when I realized that I need to pay for my own self to grow my own connections, my own network. Mm -hmm. The more you grow yourself personally, the more people you meet. The more people you meet, the better network connection you have. The better network connection you have, you grow your future. It's quite a simple mathematics. And if you, if you decide not to do that, and if you don't believe what I'm saying, you, you've got to go and speak to some of the top leaders of the world. And they are readily available in LinkedIn these days. Mm. Make some friends and test what I just said. Most people are in those diversified roles because they grew themselves personally. They're part of a network. They're part of a group. They're part of a learning curve. There's no such thing as no investment and yet gain from it. It doesn't happen. It's the real I believe in that. And, you know, I mean, I, I invest in myself. You know, as much as I say, it's not something that I, I preach. I, I'm part of a U.S. network. I pay a subscription every month. I get to know people who've got no connection with technology. People mm -hmm. from the consumerization of the world, people from the pharmaceutical of the world, people from manufacturing the world, people from been running years of business, you know, being in senior leadership for wafer plants, which I have no knowledge on, absolutely. I don't even know how wafers work. Not of my interest, you know, it's not been. And, but, but, you know, what I learned from all those people is all those different tactics that they use to grow the business. It's not about the product, the service, the people you know, or the industry. It's just the different people. They all have a different zest of what they became. Of. Mm -hmm. Before they became a CMO, a CIO, a CFO, a CEO, they all had a rough life. It's not everyone woke up with a golden spoon, you know, so it doesn't happen. So those are the people who invested in themselves. Mm -hmm. They believed that, you know, we need to grow our learning curve and so when I'm part of these networks, I, I'm actually the youngest, one of the youngest in, in those networks. And it's, it's quite interesting. Either you can take it in a very depressive manner that, you know, oh my God, you know, or, or you can feel like, you know, this is going to be awesome, right? So I feel it's going to be awesome every time when I attend those sessions. Um, interestingly, I'm the only female as of now, <laughs> but, but um, 
it makes me feel good because people actually tell me about a lot of unique scenarios. You know, I, I met some really interesting people. Someone who worked for Bloomberg and decided one day that he's been in a senior leadership for tons of years. And he woke up one day and he said, this is not what I want to do anymore. I, I want to run my own sales train, trainership. Right. I'm going to come out. And he became a CEO and he started to run sales training programs for corporates. From a salesperson, from a VP to becoming a CEO. So, <laughs> so I, guess, I guess it's all in the mindset. So when you meet people like that, you know that people have break the, break the chain. People have done it, you know, and people have invested in this. I mean, at 55 years old, I don't think he needs to do that, right? Yeah, he doesn't have to. Yeah, so that's what I think. So I, I guess it's not about the time, age. It's about people's willingness to invest in yourself. You know, mm. you want, what is it that you want to become? And that nobody can motivate you. Mm. You've got to tell yourself that you, it's I can, I can only speak for myself. Like I want to be a, a VP, you know, in a couple of years time. And if I don't invest in myself, in training myself, in doing, in being part of the perfect storm, working in a storm, building the growth in a storm, I will never be a good VP because I will not be able to understand how to deal with difficult situations. Mm. There's no profitability, there's no gains. How are you going to innovate to build profitability? That's what the new HVP would require in any yeah. scenario. That's what I invest myself to grow. So I'm part of networks. I pay subscriptions to learn that. Mm -hmm. I don't have to do that, right? Oh, exactly, that's your choice, right? Yeah, but, but it's not about whether you, it's, it's not about a thought process of whether you want or don't want to do. It's about your goal, what's your end goal? Yeah. And you've got to learn from people who are good at what they do. There's mm -hmm. a reason why they're trainers, because they're good at what they do. Mm. They know what is going to fix that situation. And, and by learning that, it's a skill that you acquire. You're not going to lose the skill. So what is the problem? I don't see there's a problem in it. Unless you stop investing in yourself. That's when I say that the interesting situations arise in terms of the workforce reduction and so on and so forth that you face in mm. the future. That is uncontrollable factor. And then when you start all over again, it's, a, it's not like... You can't change yourself at the time and rebuild. You can, but it's going to be a much painful stage. Mm -hmm. But why would you talk in that? You know? I would rather you have built the network and be part of those programs. The more people know you, you've got to start from now. And, and these are friends that you don't lose. They're going to be with you forever. So mm -hmm. I have some, some friends or some leaders, uh, you know, some professors who brought me into this network who used to coach me. <laughs> And, um, you know, what, what is wrong with that? I don't see a, a reason on why you wouldn't participate. Mm -hmm. And more than ever, life has become so simple right now. Everything is available in LinkedIn. Yeah. Everything, every day. You don't have to be physically investing with your energy out there. And if you're still not doing it, then, then I guess it's a very challenging situation for anyone in the future. Yeah. And I think to a couple of good points there um, through that, I mean, all of that, just listening to what you're saying there, it's a huge message for people who really are aspiring to, to accelerate their career, who want to get to the top, whatever that looks like for them, whether it is a VP, a CEO, you know, it, it's, it's personal to everyone. 
you know, for you, it, it's a VP. For somebody else, it might be a, a, a director role, you know, it, or a manager. So it, there's no right or wrong. But ultimately, the messaging is the same, right? You have to invest the time, your energy, and the and, and the money in yourself to be able to, to to, as you said, be different, to stand out. Um, you know, I love what you said. What is it you do differently? And that that's something I'm very, very, very strong as an advocate about. Is what do you do differently to stand out? That is where your personal brand comes in, because you want to be top of mind for people that matter. Which brings me to your other very valid point about the network and the relationships. Sometimes people forget it's not always about who you know, it's about who knows you, right? And, and that's where you, you just give a great example about these people, you know, who coach you, professors, um, these senior uh, people within the, in the corporate world who now all know you. That's more important than who you know. And it's for you, you've created that brand for yourself by virtue of the way that you show up and the fact that, you know, how you've invested in yourself, your own personal growth. So I, I love it. I mean, it's a huge lesson for people who don't, because for me, I think particularly when you work for a large company, sometimes you kind of feel, well, I don't need to have a strong personal brand. I can hide behind the brand that I work for because it's a, it's a big brand. If I say I work for X, Y, Z, it's like, well, everyone knows that. So that's enough. But actually, as you say, with the changing landscape now, it's not enough. It's, it's no longer enough to just say I work for this big organization, but who are you in your own right? What is your brand? What do you stand for? Um, and you've clearly absolutely nailed that. Um, so I, I totally love that. And, and I mean, just, just around that same topic, what would you say then are the three um, traits of a good leader? What were the three core things that you think? If someone wants to be a leader, in whatever capacity, what are the, the most important traits that they need to hone in on and refine? I guess, firstly, you need to have a very high level of passion. I'm very honest. If you don't have the passion, mm -hmm. your energy will be depleted like in, in hours. Mm -hmm. You must have the passion. And passion is not about coming to work every day. Passion is about thinking how you're going to turn this around. You know, it's a sinking ship. You've got four row boats. What are you going to do? You've got mm -hmm. to have that mindset every day. And that's the passion. Second, I think you need to have a really positive mindset. Mm -hmm. It sounds as simple as it gets, but it's really hard when you're in a corporate. Because you have many different situations, many different acquaintances. You've got, you've got to be having that mindset every day that you've got the discipline of managing people in that segmentation mm -hmm. and you still remain positive. You don't have to be poisonous. You don't have to be difficult. You, know, you, mm -hmm. you can be that same nice person as you are, but you wake up every day with that positive range. And the third thing that I think is very, very, very important for anyone, regardless of what industry you're in, Mm -hmm. managing by influence. I think many people, uh, I'm, I'm still learning the art. I won't tell you that I'm an exceptionalist. Many people who've been learning this for 30, 35 years and they're still not perfect at it. It's a very difficult art, mm -hmm. manageable by influence because influence is the substance and the character of what you've built for yourself. And 
for myself at least, uh, I always tell my team that managing by influence, for me, is a very classic example. If today you run into a storm, if I tell you, can you call the managing director now? Do you have his mobile? And if you tell me no, that means you don't have the art of managing influence. Why? Because you must be able to connect with people when there's nothing there for you to do in the business together. There's nothing physical. That's just friendship. That is the art of influence. Someone believes in you. Somebody will influence the situation. That's what I believe in. And I believe in that every day in my life. And I always tell people managing by influence is not just managing your clientele, the people that you work with. It's also the, your extended teams, people who have nothing to do with you. They don't report to you. Um, people who have nothing to do with your business. You know, They belong to different regions. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, they, have, they are probably external stakeholders. You know, they're independent consultants. Uh, they are independent one-stop business owners. They have nothing to do with your line of business. So what is stopping you in creating a management of influence? Do you have a chart that has a management of influence of people? How many people do you know who belong to the industry that you work with? You're managing by influence and outside of the industry. That actually tells you how much you have mastered. And I tell you, I still have a long way to go. So I believe anyone who's starting now, it's a very long journey. Mm. So I think that's a very important trait for any leader because you will make an impact to your team where you can help them mm -hmm. to overcome the challenges when you teach them the art of managing people by influence. Mm -hmm. Take away the traits of leadership. I'm still a very young leader, so I won't be able to tell you much. <laughs> I would have fallen a hundred times and wake up a hundred times every day. Um, and, you know, in, as much as I say all this, it's, it's, a, it's a very difficult situation in the world today. It's a very difficult situation that I've never been in my entire life or never even dreamed dream of mm. that I'm going to be in, <laughs> but I am. <laughs> so today, I, more than ever, I have to learn how to manage people by influence remotely mm -hmm. with no physical presence. So I've got to think how to create that impact on someone's mindset by not physically being there. Mm -hmm. Right? So... So I think management of influence is uh, it's a really key trait that takes you everywhere, regardless of what the situation in the world is today. Mm -hmm. Wow, very profound. I love that. You know, <laughs> a couple of things that you mentioned about um, you fall over, you get up and you keep going. And there's people who fall over and they don't want to get back up because they feel, well, that's it. And that, that again, I think is very important to call that out and say, if, if you've got that vision, if you've got that goal and you've got the drive and the passion behind it and the mindset, you will get up and you will keep going. And that falling over is your learning, right? It's the experiences that make you the person that you are. So it's important yeah, to have those as well. There's just no perfect situation, right, Lila? There's mm. no perfect situation. There's no perfect world to be in. You know, so if you're looking for that, then it's, it's almost impossible. But what can we do with what we have today is what we need to think, right? And, yeah. and, I, and I used to tell my team, if, if you wake up today coming to this discussion with the mindset that there's nothing possible to be achieved, then you're going to walk away with zero. Mm. But if you come here and tell me there's two things that I've done well and two things that's not working, mm. 
Mm-hmm. That means had that passion, the drive, and the management by influence to even realize that two things worked and two things didn't. You know, and I think that's what I do for myself. So why is it so difficult for you? That's what I always ask my team. What is so difficult? Mm-hmm. Right. So before you put yourself in some extreme situation, I always tell them, think about that, right? Yeah. You're not the one who's doing it. Everyone is. Everyone is in the same situation. So mm. this is a great spot to be in in the world now. Everyone is in the same situation. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So it's back to neutral now. Let's all start from the beginning. <laughs> and I think... It's like starting from stone age, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. And, and also when you talk about managing by influence, I think that's a really pertinent point. Um, again, as part of your own branding... And how you grow that and how you grow your own reputation it is about being able to influence those relationships. And, you know, I, I remember when um, I was in uh, the corporate world and there was a, um, somebody that I worked with and, and he said quite categorically, I am not here to make friends. I'll talk to people if I need something. But when the time came to need something, he struggled because he hadn't cultivated those relationships to then be able to influence somebody to help. And I remember how shocked I was when I heard him say that, because like yourself, I'm naturally a, a, quite a friendly, outgoing person. So I would go and talk to people. I like to know about other people and learn about them and, and just make, you know, just chat with them. So when it comes to then a need to call in a favor, because you've already established that trust, that rapport, you know, people are happy to help. And that's one of the things that it took me a while to realize I was doing, um, but then realizing the importance of it as well, that being able to cultivate those relationships in a way that you, it's almost like having that support network around your circle of influence. So again, coming back to who knows you, who do you know, who can you pick up the phone to, you know, when there's a crisis and and ask for help. Um, So I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, And, you know, I mean, just, this has been really eye-opening to, to listen to, you know, your experiences, your challenges and how you've overcome them and how you're so passionate about your own growth and that vision that you've got. You know, there's absolutely no way you won't achieve what you want within the next year or two. You know, I'm absolutely certain because, because you're, you're doing everything you possibly can to propel yourself towards that end goal and, and that is what I love and, and I think it's important as well for people to recognize that like you said we're not born with a, a silver spoon it, it, it takes the work it takes the hard graft behind the scenes not just when you turn up at the office um, and, and so just to wrap up then what would you say what would be your kind of biggest piece of advice maybe one or two things um, whether it's your advice or your biggest learnings that you think could benefit our audience today. So people like you who are ambitious, who want to accelerate their career. Well, I, I, I personally don't like advice. So, <laughs> which I, I try to only listen from my leaders, but okay. So <laughs> I, I would probably just share my two cents. Right? Um, this is my two cents work of learning. And I, I'm still a very young leader and still learning my nooks and hooks of growing up in this industry further. But as a case example myself, right? Um, when, you, when you want to become a wise president, what does it take to be? I ask myself that every day, every single day. 
And I look at a mirror and I actually ask myself that. Why would anyone hire me? Why? And there's a few things that I do for myself, right? One, there are some clients and partners that I know I can never work with or make an impact to their business. We'll never be able to drive a business together. Do I walk away from them? I don't. What I do is I still have a coffee with them every time when I go to those countries. And I actually tell them, it's a pity we can't work together, but it doesn't matter. At least we'll be friends forever. I actually build my management by influence chart longer and longer with these people that I actually can't do any business with. And I converted them into my friends. So that's, that's one key learning for me. And another key learning that I, I do for myself is there's some interesting materials that I read over and over again. It sounds weird, but I do that. Mm -hmm. I actually read certain chapters from Michelle Obama's autobiography over and over again, though I know what it is, but I still want to read it. It kind of create an impact on my mind when someone like her, who was born in a nowhere part of the US, not in an influential family, so a very simple family who became the first lady of the United States of America, what made her change her career? What made her invest in herself? What made her her? So whenever you read that, then you start thinking, okay, I am not dealing with this situation well. So then I start to you know, improve myself in the way I deal with people. And I also read over and over again, the autobiography of Google CEO, Silver Pichin. And his as well is quite interesting, you know, about how he was from a very simple family who lived in a one bedroom apartment, not even an apartment, you know, it's just a flat, nowhere to be found in the world. And to become a CEO, imagine the mindset you have to have. Imagine how strong your mind has to be to get there. So when you read about these people and then you look at yourself in the mirror and you tell yourself, you're not investing in yourself to become a better person, but do something to reach your goal. You have only one life. You don't know how long you have. So make that difference, right? If Steve Jobs knows that he's going to die and he can turn around Mac and become the $1 trillion company, anyone can do anything. That's what I told myself. So I don't know. I mean, even now, I don't know my two cents in my life is I don't know whether I'll become a VP. I don't know whether I'll become the best female leader or whether I'll still even remain in female leadership, right? Um, I'll prefer to say leadership, right? But I told myself, even if tomorrow I walk out from this role and become back to the ground, let's say I'm not in leadership today. I told myself that, what will I do differently? So that's something that I build myself as well, parallelly, right? Because you've got to always prepare yourself for the good and bad. And I think this just my few, you know, few things that I would want to share with people that I, I feel it's, it's worth sharing. You know, it's, it's everyone looks at someone when you're successful. People never look at the people when things were really bad. And I, and I realized that I've seen that in many different situations that people don't talk to you, don't make an effort when you are nobody. When you become a somebody, you will have the 20 people 
who are not even trying to foster a relationship, just trying to extract something out from you. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's when you realize when you meet people like that, that you don't want to be those people. I never want to be that. And that's something that I really want to tell people that I think humanity comes first, then comes the position, the power, influence, whatever else. <laughs> like you say, when something goes wrong, if you pick up the phone and call someone, who will be there? If you can count the people, then you're very lucky. If you mm-hmm. can't, then you're in a lot of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just my takeaway on, on you know, what I do for myself, right? And I, and I don't want to tell people what to do. I just want to share what I do. And if mm-hmm. it really helps them, that's great. Mm-hmm. And I hope uh, one or two things that I said made a positive impact on your mind. There's a lot, a lot of what you said during this this chat that for me, I think will be nuggets of gold for people out there. Seriously, you know, people who are looking to grow their career, who are feeling stuck, who've got their goal, but they just don't know which way to turn, that there's so much you've given there. So I thank you so, so much for the bottom of my heart, Gertry, for the time you've given today to have a chat with us thank you i appreciate you having me thank you absolute pleasure thank you and we will speak soon all right have a good day see you thank you for listening please subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already done so and if you enjoyed and gained value from today's episode then do please leave a review telling us your key learnings and what you enjoyed the most. And do please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues so we can spread the word on life leadership, creating a life of choice, freedom and new possibilities. Connect with me directly on LinkedIn. And if you would like to learn more about how we can work together, either DM me on LinkedIn or email me. All details and resources can be found in the show notes.